Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Prince is a band out of Dublin, Ireland, that has just released their debut album. It's called Letter to Self. The album is filled with driving instrumentals, with vocals by Carla Chubb, whose voice commands your attention with its raw emotion and power. I caught up with Carla to talk about the songs on this record that explore being queer in a Catholic country, ADHD, sexism, mental health, and more. But before we got into this album, I first had a question about an EP Sprints released in 2021 called Manifesto. And I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. And I don't need nobody to tell me what to say. The title track of that EP was written in response to the band's experiences campaigning for the Repeal the Eighth referendum in Ireland. And Ireland's Eighth Amendment banned abortion, and that referendum vote succeeded in 2018, and abortion is no longer banned. And I understand that abortion access in Ireland was part of Sprint's drummer's PhD studies. Tell me more about the band's involvement in the repeal, the Eighth Referendum, and what Ireland's landscape is like today in terms of just Catholicism in the country. The repeal referendum came very soon after the marriage referendum, which was the vote to legalize same-sex marriage in Ireland. That was 2015 off the top of my head. So we were the first country in the world, I think, to legalize it by popular vote, um, which was amazing. So then within a few short years, we then um, voted to give women uh, bodily autonomy and access to abortion. So we did, Ireland went through a lot of really positive social change and, and really, like really amazing social change to see and to experience and also be a part of. I think for us, it was all... I think the first time there were causes that really mattered to us and impacted us that we were able to to get involved in and really see like our voices be used for change. Now, I'm not saying everything's perfect. Like Jack, like you said, his entire PhD focused on the geographies of access to abortion uh, or abortion access in Ireland. And unfortunately, like you mentioned, the, the Catholic kind of church involvement in state plans and state measures means that doctors do have the right to decline to offer services for abortion in in our national hospitals uh, and in practices if they want to. So the access to it is still limited. It's definitely not accessible everywhere, um, particularly in rural areas, which is tough for women across Ireland because, again, financially, with your with life, with kids, with any kind of issues, you don't really have the means to, to pick up and drive four, five, six hours, stay in a hotel, access abortion in one of the major cities and then try to get back again, even with the with the chance of, of being refused. So it's been amazing to see a lot of the great social change. There's definitely a lot of progress to be made. I think young people are stepping away from the Catholic Church and trying to kind of segregate the church-state involvement. But unfortunately, I think it does kind of permeate through our society still. And it's something we grew up with and I think is the impact is still felt mentally and you still feel that invisible pressure, I guess, a little bit. I understand that your song Cathedral off this latest release is is about like sexuality and Catholic guilt. 
Tell me more about the story and inspiration behind this track. Mother, father, I'm sorry to say my disposition lives another day. You're not gonna be happy. Are any of us happy? Cathedral was one that spilled out quite naturally. I think it's one of those perfect examples of your subconscious telling a story that you're probably not even aware of totally yourself that exists within you it's written I think it's probably inspired a lot by the marriage referendum and what I mentioned it's when you're younger and you grow up and you don't see queer representation on tv or in media or even being homosexual was legal until the early 90s in Ireland when you grow up in that environment whether you're directly affected by it or not I think it definitely impacts your view of the world and and how and things you aspire or, or dream to be so I kind of grew up really unsure of myself and my sexuality, but simultaneously thinking, well, like, sure, I can't marry a woman ever anyway. I can't have a family or or it's not going to be accepted. So you almost kind of rule those things out as possibilities in your life. And then you hit 24 or 25 or whatever I was at the time or, or younger. And it's like, oh, sorry, we're actually going to we're going to give you those rights now. And you, your entire life you spent thinking there's something wrong with you or you're different or you're not totally equal in society and then all of a sudden you on paper legally kind of are in one respect and it's how you rewire your brain and and that process it was like the idea of like a modern or like the nuclear family was never attainable for anyone who was queer and then in your mid-20s they tell you you can get married and you do deserve those rights that hetero heterosexual people did have and it's how do you change that whole thought process and how you thought of yourself. You grew up experiencing that difference and and feeling out of step with the world. So Cathedral was was kind of, I think, my internal process of that and this, how much I've struggled with it. And also the idea that almost like we should be so thankful that we were finally granted the same rights as everyone else. And it's like, well, it, everything's fixed now, isn't it? Like they put a Band-Aid on like a leaking dam and been like, aren't you happy? <laughs> I read that your song Adore, Adore, Adore is about the unfair standards that women are held in music. And I'm curious what memories or reflections came up when you were writing this song. Adore, Adore, Adore is honestly the direct reaction to a pre- horrific review that we got at a festival before we played a festival that I didn't understand fully was full of kind of industry folk I guess I would say um and when we went out to perform we weren't getting much of a reaction or a response and to be honest the room was quite silent when you finished which was a very jarring experience for me it was the first time we ever played something like that so in my kind of typical <laughs> probably now looking back stupid Irish dry sarcastic humour was trying to rile people up a little bit I think we're we're quite playful in sprints like we don't take ourselves that seriously and the Irish humour is quite dry and sarcastic and you know we're not afraid to poke fun and we show love by poking fun at each other so I was trying to get the crowd amped up a little bit 
we kind of do classic things like we were in Germany last night and they were way more fun than this or we were in London and they were way, way bit louder than Dublin are right now. Like pick it up a notch, kind of just trying to uh, have a bit of fun. But anyway, the review did not understand my humour nor appreciate it. And the headline was something like sprints are so unkind. And the article went on to not criticise the music, but criticise me as a person. It spoke about my clothing, my personality, um, how I was ungrateful or I didn't deserve the the crowd support I was looking for. Um, they didn't think that I was kind. There was some comment about beer gushing from my face and insinuating that I was a mess, essentially, which wasn't the case. A fan handed me like a 200 mil, which is like a very small, small cup of beer while I was on stage. And I drank it in between a song and cheers to him as a thank you. And there was no mention of the guys at all in that review. There was no mention of them and their comments and them trying to rile up the crowd. There was no mention of them talking about weed or going to Amsterdam or any of these kind of things. The entire thing focused purely on me being unkind and ungrateful. And honestly, it just seemed like I hurt the guy's feelings and he was really upset about it. And I really, really struggled with that. It really was a hard, a very difficult point. I felt like I had sabotaged the band. I felt like I had ruined this massive opportunity we'd been given. I was really distraught for days. I uh, thought I had like screwed it all. And the more I sat on it and reflected on it and I went back and read the review again recently, the more I was like, this is someone who's in a position of power, who's supposed to judge music fairly and critique the music. And there wasn't one comment or critique of the music. It was two paragraphs criticizing me as a person and then went on to go, but their music's actually excellent and they've got great reference points and it's produced really well. And if you like people like Amal and the Sniffers, like you're going to love these guys. And it still included us in the list of the best bands to s that were at the festival. So it was almost like they wanted to put me down. And I really, really got annoyed at that then. It really bothered me. And it's this idea that even in this day and age, no matter what women do in music, no matter how we act, there's still these invisible rules and standards we have to play by that me being a front woman in a pretty like loud and aggressive punk band, I still have to be nice to the reviewer and make sure I don't hurt his feelings on stage because he's the priority, of course, in this scenario and not the experience or the music or the stories I'm trying to tell. So that really pissed me off, honestly. Um, and that's where Dora, Dora, Dora came from. So at least I got a song out of it, but yeah, it was it was a hard thing to swallow. And it's still something I kind of stick with this day is that people are going to love to portray you as just the angry woman in a rock band. But listen, if he wants to see angry, he can come meet me later and I'll show him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you adore me? Am I everything you wish you had? Or am I everything you detest? Do you adore me? song, A Wreck A Mess, is about your recent ADHD diagnosis. I'm such a mess. I'm such a wreck. Can I and as someone who was diagnosed with ADHD at 16, which I felt was late in the game, I want to talk <laughs> about this because, you know, I, I also, I think in recent years, been reading a lot of articles about how girls 
are often underdiagnosed compared to boys because yeah. a lot of the ADHD um, that people try to to recognize is like the hyperactive stuff, the interruption verse. And that's how boys usually, um, how it plays out in boys versus girls. A lot of it's like the forgetfulness, the daydreaminess, things that you don't really see as much. That's not, you know, out in the open as much. And so that's why girls are misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed. And then here you are later in life, finally getting a diagnosis. What has that felt like for you to finally get a diagnosis? It was, it's really weird because obviously like I was 31, I think when I was officially diagnosed and I'd never thought about it in my life. And it was Sam McCann and the band who won, like, I don't know how it came up in the conversation. He was like, Carla, you absolutely have it. Like you are nuts. Like <laughs> there is not a doubt in my mind that you have this. And so I was like, hmm, let me think about this. And then things started to really click. And yeah, like you said, like I was, I never considered myself like a hyperactive person but then I started to notice like I do tend to like in interrupt people when they speak not because I'm trying to interrupt but because I'm trying to show that I'm engaged in the conversation and paying attention and the way I do that is by trying to relate and respond to what they're saying the forgetfulness for sure if I don't write something down it's never going to be done and it's going to disappear from my head and into the ether and, and go god knows where and I think a lot of mine started to develop in terms of like anxiety mm -hmm. and um, feeling incredibly overwhelmed when I have like lots of things to do in a day, which as a touring musician is incredibly hard to manage because typically you wake up when you've every hour of the day scheduled for interviews or rehearsal or do your makeup, warm up here, eat now, go to the bathroom, get on stage, do the show, get off, do merch, do this, get in the car, get up at this time. So I find that very overwhelming and difficult to deal with. Whereas the guys are kind of like, yeah, whatever, like six shows in a row, fine. So it's been tough and I'm trying to find ways to manage it. And I think the one thing that I struggled with was finishing things was a way that it appeared. And my mom said that to me as well. She's like, I don't know what your aversion is to like completing things. Like you'd, I'd start getting my driver's license and I'd never get around to it. I'd start learning to ride a motorbike, but I'd never do it. I'd pick up an instrument and never really fully learn how to play it. Or I'd start this hobby or, or that task or this business idea. And I was always so full of potential, people always said, but uh, very little follow through. So <laughs> I guess the one thing I've been working on is is trying to figure that out. And uh, sprints is for sure one thing I think I'm quite proud that I've managed to stick to it and the one place where the hyperfixation has really paid off because you can pour all your heart and soul into something and there's real tangible results which I think is a is a great motivator to stay focused is when I, I I see things happen as a result whereas in life and in things like school and college I really struggled when I was left to like independent study or just had to learn things off by heart and regurgitate them in exams and I was always told like oh you're intelligent but you just need to focus or you're intelligent if you just put more effort in or if you just did this or just did that and I never understood why I always find that so difficult so I do feel a little bit justified I guess now but it's still uh it's still tough and it's it does make it very hard to tour and be away from home and stability and and routines and 
the guys are very good and understanding and patient with me, particularly when I'm prone to freak out and panic kind of <laughs> at the drop of a hat. <laughs> but but I'm sure like that diagnosis just helps you understand your own mind because other things that I was reading is like because girls at a younger age are underdiagnosed and and so when you grow up to become an adult, you know, for women, ADHD can manifest and turn into again anxiety or depression because again this this idea of like with ADHD, you have so much on your plate that you just can't start a task. Like it just becomes so overwhelming. Like I remember growing up and just having just like these anxiety attacks that knowing I had so much on my plate and I just couldn't even get myself to start. And then you're just in this like loop of like worry and anxiety, knowing you have everything to start, but you just feel like you can't physically start it. <laughs> and yeah, then, for and sure. Then, it's like self-destructive. Yeah. And then obviously like <laughs> once you start it, do you ever finish it? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but this idea that, you know, because girls and women are underdiagnosed later on it can manifest as depression and anxiety and i and i understand that in your in your track shed of a doubt you you would you address things like mental health i mean is there anything else that you want to mention on this song shed of a doubt because it is like a heavier track on this record i can feel it in my sleep i can feel it as i breathe there's a burning in my chest Yeah, Shadow of a Doubt is definitely the most personal. It's very um, it's very blunt and very raw. Thematically, it is it is very dark. And it's about that idea of like calling out for help or crying for help, but uh, people not really seeing it or understanding it and then just being completely alone in that. That's obviously where the, the line, like, can't you hear me calling, is sometimes you were physically calling out for help. Sometimes it was... You know, in your body language, it was in your speech, the siren in my speech, the urgent crying in my head was, I thought it was so obvious that I was struggling, but people had no idea. So yeah, it was my very not so silent cry for help. I feel like the album ends on an empowering note with the title track, especially the final lines about not having to take the path that was lined out. I don't have to take the path that was carved in front of me. What is the message that you're sending in this final song, Letter to Self? Yeah, Letter to Self is almost like the, the end credits to a movie. I think we kind of imagined it as. It's essentially the album as a whole explores like internal struggle I think experience like a lot of like the impact of the environment you grow up in or things you experience in your life. I think looking at like hereditary behaviors was always really interesting to me of like particularly things like like even with ADHD, like it's apparently a lot of it can be hereditary, but my parents don't have it and I don't know anyone in my family that's ever suffered from it. So like where do these things come from and am I destined to become everything I've seen and experienced in my life or can I forge a different path and and become my own person and live like a, a happy and fulfilling life. And like I mentioned, like music, it did become that thing for me. And Sprints did become like a chosen family, which I think a lot of queer people can relate to that. We often have to find family, like our own chosen family and friends that 
understand that experience in our lives and it has saved me and it's been amazing and I have an amazing partner and amazing friends and this beautiful support system and music and a great team around us and I think it was important to highlight that that there you don't have to be what you've experienced you don't you can become whoever and whatever you want to and I just thought it was a, an important thing to highlight that there was I guess that like light at the end of the tunnel moment a little bit but uh just wrapping up how important the process I think of letter to self was um, and how important it was to look internally to accept oneself. Well, I've been speaking with Carla Chubb of Sprints. They just released an album called Letter to Self in January. They'll be playing at Madame Lou's in Seattle on March 6th. Carla, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Emma.
That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.